Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello there, it's Mike Williams, and uh, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Today, we're going to call it Overlooking the Obvious. So listen, it's easy we all know, to get lost in the daily grind of research and news feeds and flashing numbers on websites and flashing newscasts and flashing video montages. While we logically understand that long-term investing demands we stay focused on many years into the future business cycle, the push-button world we live in today with far too much information at our fingertips at times foils some of the best laid plans even for the best we need to take a better look we need to see with better eyes as i was told once before it seems simplistic sometimes to suggest we pause for a moment to grind the noise to a halt long enough to check our bearings and really see if it's all that bad A couple of facts are known, Uh, well, at least we think we know them. China no longer grows at 10% a year. Gluts and commodity pipelines have crushed prices until recent weeks. The oil sector has witnessed the pricing tectonic shift we expected. Trickle-down effects from that have caused lost orders and revenues and lower manufacturing production. Surely there are more things to fret over in the list of black swans we are currently told that we face, but there's something we might be overlooking. Think about it for a second. You can't see these charts, but industrial production and manufacturing have been weak sectors for the economy for the last 18 months. By the way, that's about the same time span wherein the the market has been capped. It's gone nowhere. We have to admit, however, that the vast majority of this decline can be traced directly back to the huge reduction in oil-related activities. I mean, think about it. There's lots of industrial equipment that was being used by all those oil companies finding all that oil. So if price declined, they're finding less oil. They're working less, requiring adjustment. But listen to this data from a little bit different perspective. If I take the current level on the chart, and I draw a line backwards, okay, back to past times, if I draw it straight across the chart, guess what? Even now, after this oil reduction and the trickle-down effect of all this business being reduced, even now, industrial production in the United States is higher than it's been in all of history with the exception of two years. Said another way, we're higher than we've ever been. If you just forget about 2006 and 2007, and why would I say forget? Well, guess what? We have found out, obviously, from the demolition of the housing market, that 2006 and 2007 were sort of uh, outliers That was a housing bubble we were watching be produced. 
So it really wasn't true industrial production. We had to wipe it out over the next few years. And then, of course, we had to recover from 2008 and 2009. So if in our minds we just magically took away all that growth in 06 and 07, guess what? We're at record highs of industrial production. We've never been higher, except the oil finding. So listen, to provoke even more thoughts, if I could show you this next chart, it's about manufacturing production, not just industrial, but manufacturing output. And you know what? If you looked at the chart, you would find it's literally been flat for the last 18 months. Once again, there's a better view than what we might want to think about. We know that oil has been crushed. We know that sector has canceled multiple orders and of course that affected manufacturing output. But I want you to think about this because it's been hidden from view. It's the overlooked and underappreciated boon that cheap oil represents to a vast majority of consumers. We know this because if all things were indeed equal and everything else was going at the same pace as it was 18 months ago, then manufacturing output wouldn't be flat. It would be down big because we would have lost all that energy production, right? All that, all that equipment that gets used and services used through the manufacturing output, all that would have been lost. So if everything else was equal, the line wouldn't be flat. It would be down, big. Listen, GDP is already improving. The latest Atlanta Fed model, just after this, quote, terrible Q1, is already up to 2.2%. That's up half a point from May 4th. Boosting the bottom line have been increases in expected real consumer spending growth. Just what we talked about. And more fixed investment. Look, I have no inside scoop, but it sure smells to me like someday we're going to find out that all these terrible Q1 readings we've had over the last few years had something to do with incorrect reading of, quote, seasonal adjustments. But that's for another day. Back to the jobs note for a second, because people are still complaining about the weak jobs report. Listen, could it be that once again we're thinking something is bad for all the wrong reasons? Let's think about this data a little bit more. I'm staring at a chart. Again, I'm going to explain it to you, but you'll get the picture in your mind. Imagine a chart with a bunch of dots on it and all connected by a line, and it squiggles across the chart up and down and up and down and up and down. And here's the thing. It goes all the way back to 1996. Think about it, 20 years of data, all in one easy-to-follow chart about the private sector payroll change each month, in the thousands, by the way. And guess what? For 20 years, if you drew a line across the lows and the highs, you would find that over 88% of all of the readings each month for the last 20 years have been in the same 150,000 range zone, meaning that the data we see today is nearly identical 
to what we saw in the late 90s and all the years since, most of the time. When I say most, 88%. Sure, we'll dip out of that range, but it's 12% of the time, and those are usually panics or major recessions. There's only been two, by the way, two periods. You guessed them, the end of the tech bubble and the end of the housing crisis. So think about it. Are we really that bad? Is it really bad that we're producing the same kinds of jobs as we did when we had an economy that was only $11 trillion? Is that bad? Now it's $18 trillion, guys. Is that bad? By the way, it's never been higher. Think about it. Last but not least, the private sector jobs growth is at record highs as to number of people at work. Okay, We've never had this many people working in the private sector. The good news is the physical size of the public sector has been shrinking relative to the private sector. In other words, it's becoming a smaller percentage of the workforce. That's good news because it gives more room for private businesses to take root and look for surprising growth in that area, explosive growth in new small businesses. Why? Well, because over the next one, three, and five years, massive numbers of kids in Generation Y are going to go out and get their first job, and those waves are going to get larger and larger for the next 10 years. That's a pretty long time to count on. The data also hints that the weak GDP growth numbers of the last quarter or two are more likely to span out as an anomaly, just like the other weak Q1s, and should be reversed via higher numbers over the rest of the year. Listen, the new buzzword chain has added a new buzz to it. There's, there's a new word, Brexit. You know, we're going to be told to worry about that for the next month or so. It's going to end up in the same heap as we left Grexit a couple of summers ago. Next thing you're going to hear about is helicopter money. Lots of experts are going to talk about that, and they're going to tell you it's bad. I may have noted the obvious, but listen. Too many people have gotten too wound up over a pause. Why would I say that? Even with the collapse of the energy sector, we have only had two years in our history as a nation with more industrial output, and that was the housing bubble. So I think we cannot count that. Even with the collapse of the energy sector, we are still at record high GDP output. Sure, it's growing slower, but it's record levels. Never been better. Even with all the noise and related consequences of the energy adjustment sifting through the economic pipeline, earnings are only down a percent and a half when you take out the energy garbage. And that can be explained by the strong dollar, but that's going to be adjusted out. Another couple of quarters and you're going to see earnings growth magically start again. The point is this, earnings growth is going to be round-tripped by probably September-ish. It's just going to start from a new base after a shallow pause, and it's going to turn upward. 
cap all this off with $8 trillion sitting in those idle bank accounts, scared of its own shadow. And you get the feeling that the, the world is far from ending. I'm going to end this podcast, though, with a question we should ponder. What excuse are we going to use to be afraid when the markets break out to new highs in the midst of all this mess and never look back again, just like they did in the early 80s? Think demographics, not economics. We are in far better shape than the masses currently understand. Dips and corrections and a summer swoon are something to take advantage of for long-term investors. I hope these thoughts have been helpful. Make sure you sit with your advisor and review them. Thanks again for your time. And until we see you on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.